Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I'm Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode 21. Today we have another special guest in. We've got Dave Wilcox from Common Ground Design. Welcome, Dave. Hi, guys. Thanks very much for having me here today. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. So the reason we've got Dave in is we're going to talk about... Uh, how the trails get built, how they get planned, what goes into it, because kind of we haven't had really new trails in WA for a very long time, especially walking trails. So it's good to get an understanding of what would go into that and, uh, yeah, the kind of like the process around it. So you just want to tell us a bit about yourself, Dave, and how you got into the trail life. Yeah, I was really fortunate to uh, grow up in uh, an area called Might River um, and on a property which had a 100-acre property of my parents, uh, which was backed onto the uh, Lewin Nat National Park. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have been down to Ellensbrook Homestead, but that area along there on the Cape to Cape was, is sort of my backyard. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so we, um, my family's property has Ellensbrook Creek running through it. Mm. And so there was a, a trail uh, which led from our, pretty much our house, from the, front, from the front of our house, down to Ellensbrook Homestead, and that sort of used to be a... I think we'd walk every day or, you know, jog down to the beach on, on the weekends and that kind of thing. So that's sort of where the, you know, I guess the initial introduction into trails happened. And, um, you know, I guess throughout life we sort of ventured further and went off off trail and started hiking through the area. And um, really lucky that the property had, you know, this amazing carry forest and then backed onto areas where there's huge granite doline, uh, granite outcrops and um, limestone dolines and um, big cliffs and caves which we could just sort of head out and, and explore so that upbringing sort of really cemented that that will to be and that desire to be outside yeah, yeah. I must say when I was there last year I was amazed at that little bit of carry forest there because you kind of don't expect it because it's all sort of coastal and and then suddenly there's this bit of carry forest which is tucked away there. That's yeah, it's a it's one of those really u- little unique pockets of carry. One of the I guess probably one of the most northern um, pockets of carry um, in Western Australia. So it's yeah, it's it's quite a special little spot down there. Mm. Also fortunate to have done a lot of a lot of travel and and done a lot of you know walks you know sort of all over the place and and sort of really got appreciation for the outdoors and and interacting with the outdoors and and not just walking but also you know. Growing up near the Blackwood River and having um, birthday trips and stuff down the Blackwood with my dad and and with family and and friends, you know, doing you know multi day trips down that. So it's it, yeah, being immersed in that culture down there of being outdoors is I guess what set me on the on the path of enjoying trails. But it wasn't something that I initially um, wanted to do as a career. Uh, it was just yeah something that yeah we enjoyed and and that kind of thing. So. Um, as I grew up through my teens, um, I started venturing out a bit further than the backyard and, and started doing things like I, I remember at a point when I, I, I really chucked the shits with my family and said, right, oh, I'm going, I'm going for a walk for a few days. So I, you know, packed a bag and, um, decided to walk part of the Cape to Cape. I think it was about maybe seven, eight or eight, eight at that stage and decided, oh, you know, I was going to do this a couple of nights overnight by myself. And, mm-hmm. and that sort of really cemented that enjoyment of, of going out and, and doing those kind of things. I think I... Ended up walking from Ellensbrook down to Hamlin Bay over over two days, which was you know it's a nice, really nice little section of trail. And mm. it was sort of the first, the first thing I'd done as a as a, you know emerging adult by myself, which was which was really cool. And from there, kind of you have a love of mountain biking now. How did that yeah. develop? Was that in Margaret River as well? Uh, yeah, it was. And I don't know. I, I think people that are mountain bikers will probably remember 
uh, some mud cows movies which are out in like 93 and 94 and 95. So they were made by Glenn Jacobs, who's one of the, the trail builder, trail designer gurus in Australia. And I remember seeing him in the local video store when I was young and I had a mountain bike, obviously, and I was, you know, on a property with, you know, big paddocks and lots of open space and, and saw this movie at the video store and was like, oh, I'll get that out and see what this mountain biking is about. And, and it sort of stemmed from there. And um, for my, I think it was for uh, the Christmas before I went to uni, so I would have been 17 or 18, I remember my, you know, the, the walls of my house were, you know, plastered with motorbike and mountain bike posters. And... Uh, uh, I remember for for that Christmas um, being asked, well, you're going after uni, do you want a car or you know, something like that? And I said, no, I'd, I'd actually like to get a good mountain bike. So I didn't get my license till I was 21. I just I just rode everywhere for a number of years. So mm. yeah, for I think for yeah that Christmas I got um, you know quite a good mountain bike and and sort of used that and used that as my main mode of transport, but also sort of started falling in love with mountain biking from there. So did you go to uni up in Perth? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, went to uni up in Perth. So that was a uh, you know, living away from home for the first time, which was which was pretty cool. And we used to, um, I used to live down in Netherlands near a shop called uh, Netherlands Bicycles. Uh, yeah, a guy called Mark Wardle used to run that, who's still a, a bit of a stalwart in the mountain bike community. And um, we used to go riding up at places like the goat farm and that kind of thing when we were younger. So I was had to rely on other people to get you out there if you didn't get your license. No, 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 you rode no. Out there? Oh no, no, jump on the train. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember one. We used to do the old train, the train skip, and not pay for your bike. And I remember having to get off um, at one train station once because we got caught and having to, um, you know, get getting told I had to get off and pay for the ticket for the bike. And getting off and the train took off, and I was like, "Well, I'm there in the middle of nowhere with no bike, no bike, and no mates. What do I do here?" So. Luckily, they got off the next train station. I just walked up to it. But yeah, um, I guess that's one of the big things that we see now is that accessibility for young people to getting out to trail networks and, and not just in mountain biking, but in all types of trails and ha- how people get out to these places where they can experience the outdoors. And yeah, there are, there are barriers like that. So it's, yeah, it was interesting to, to have that background and that upbringing that I guess introduced me to that in, in different ways. Yeah. So from this passion that you had that came from, you know, your youth and growing up in Margaret River, how did you translate this into becoming a trail builder? So, yeah, growing up, there was an element of always trail building at home. So, yeah, big paddocks, having carry forest with beautiful carry loam and about 30 metres of elevation on the property. As a, as a, as a kid, we, we built trails. Um, I remember, you know, quite a few of them we built, um, you know, up to about a kilometre long on mum and dad's property. Um so that's where the, the first interest of trails um, and trail building started, you know, coming to fruition. And then I guess uh, that translated into, you know, expanding a little bit further. And um, when we we're up at uni, we, where the new hospital, the new children's hospital is, there was a little bit of bush through there and that was our backyard and we sort of built a bit of trail there. But then I, I guess it wasn't until I started actually uh, traveling as a, as a mountain biker and and experiencing what real trail real mountain bike trails were like we don't really have a lot of those kind of things in WA we've got some good trail networks but we haven't got trails which you know really go wow this is this is you know an activity i really want to get into so mm. um it wasn't until i started traveling with mates to new zealand sort of 2008 onwards that i sort of really found out that you know there was this 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 style of trail which was really amazing to ride and, and really something that WA didn't offer and, and through, I guess, successive years of traveling internationally and, and looking at these destinations, I just, I just found like, well, yeah, this is something that we need back home. And, and I, remember, I remember this exact moment when we were in New Zealand just going, 
I should be doing this for work because that up in that till that stage I've been doing it as a volunteer. But um, yeah, I just remember going. I should be doing this for work, and I remember coming back to Mike River and, and telling a couple of mates we're actually out walking on the volunteer networks we had been doing uh, down there, and um, yeah, just just saying to a friend, look, I think this could be a career. So um, yeah, it was just a, a decision we made or I made and, and started doing it. But before I'd made that decision, we'd had a I, I guess a there was a long period of, of volunteering with uh, the Mike River Off-Road Cycling Association. So, yeah, what happened originally is there was a number of guys down in Mike River that were that were building trails because there was no formal mountain bike trails down there. And um, at a point, and everyone knows this kind of story, it's a cyclical story which happens everywhere. Uh, Parks and Wildlife, or um, CALM, as they were called back then, um, st- stamped in the ground some, some no cycling signs. And that sort of got the community to bandy together. Um, then we all sort of banded together and started negotiating, I guess, with the land manager to um, try and formalise these trail networks. So, um, yeah, so that was where my first introduction into negotiating with parks and wildlife and, and that kind of thing come across and drawing some initial maps and progressively over doing that over a number of years and becoming chairperson of of um, yeah, Mr. Orca, as it's called. And then I sort of just gradually, naturally thought, well, yeah, this is something I could start doing as a, as a career mm. and took the leap. Can you tell us about some specific projects that you worked on in Margaret River, like Compartment 10, mm-hmm. and what are the issues that you have in regards to environment, cultural sites, dieback, maintenance, and how does that differ from, say, like the odd ad hoc trails that uh, the enthusiasts normally build, like you mentioned? Yeah, so I guess I've been on at both spectrums, um, and it's interesting looking back now, having the knowledge that I do and understanding the mistakes that, I guess myself and a lot of friends were making um back then um but yeah it, it, what's quite interesting is looking back and, and and actually now reviewing those areas where we have done previous well yeah previous unsanctioned trail building was done you know 15 years ago and and understanding the impacts it's having now and i guess um wa is quite unique in that it's one of all the southwest of wa that's uh one of wa or one of the world's uh 34 biodiversity hotspots and um so that you know there is these really i guess there's microcosms of of these really amazing flora species and that kind of thing which you don't see anywhere else in the world so um from a i guess from a a personal level is is a desire to try and conserve that and and seeing the impacts that we we have had um previously has, has been really interesting so um I guess looking at it from a professional standpoint now and understanding the process you have to go through and, and looking at what we did uh, and what people continue to do now, when we go out now and, and we, we, I guess we get hygiene surveys done and, and look at different areas where unsanctioned trails or illegal trails have been built, you can just see the impacts that you're having on you know, that landscape that you want to be within. Um, mm. And so I, I know there's a specific spot uh, on the creek trails um, down in Murray River uh, where this, where a trail traverses across an, an area which, which t- up until mountain bikers had been in there was was dieback free, and now uh, that trail is a is a as transporting dieback into the area, and everything downslope of that trail is is now infested, and there's and you can see the difference in the landscape there that that trees are dying. Mm. So I guess on the adverse of that now is we're going into locations and um, doing that prior planning and 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 seeing where the dieback is and having specialist consultants come in and. And look where that dieback exists, and it's allowing us to, to plan around that, and so we're not we're we're not speeding up the spread of, of dieback and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
So specifically on compartment 10, um, how long did that take from start to finish? Mm -hmm. um, and what sort of things were the big challenges about that? And yeah, you know, well, how was it many years? Was it yeah. months? How, how long was this project to do? Yeah, so compartment 10, I think, took about maybe four or five years from when the idea was originally floated until it was actually built. Uh, and so, yeah, look, I, I think that when we talk about new trail developments, you're probably looking at a two to three year period from the idea to actually anything ever ever touching that, touching ground. And that's if you, you do have support and, and, and funding that becomes available to do it, um, to engage, I guess, you know, professionals to, to do each of those stages of, of trail development. Compartment 10 uh, were, was actually chosen because it, it had not a low conservation value because the conservation value is it's part of Woodachup National Park, but it had a, a lower environmental value um, because it was bordered onto the pine trees and, and had a lot of um, invasive species spread throughout the area. So that site was specifically chosen because it was able to be fast-tracked. Right. But we still found that, um, I guess, it, it initially, originally started when... Um, when I was part of Mr. Orca, but then it, it took a number of years to sort of progress through each of those stages. Mm. And it was really, it was probably the first project that ever in WA went through um, what we now call the eight stage development process, you know, which went through and had, you know, the proper hygiene studies done, the proper flora studies done through the concept design stage, the detailed design stage, and then tendering and construction. So it was the first project to go through all those kind of phases. And even though it was a, I guess, a, a lower environmental value to some of the surrounding national park areas, it, it was still really important that, um, you know, those checks and balances were put in place because there's there's granite outcrops in the area which have got um, significant species and threatened and protected um, ecological communities on there. Um, there's areas which were dieback uh, free, which we needed to avoid. Um, there was wetland seeps, which have um, potential to be habitat for, for specific species. So there's always things that we need to consider as professionals and which the land manager, being biodiversity conservation attractions now, um, have to make sure that they're not having a, an impact on those areas because, you know, it's, it's important that we that we are. Mm. I guess while we, while we need to recreate, it's important that we're, we're not having an adverse impact on on the environment so it's not just a case of oh it'd be cool to have a trail go through here there's <laughs> a complex process and lots of planning and uh guidelines to get through yeah exactly right um it, it used it used to be that simple and um yeah i guess when we were naive it was that simple but um having a good understanding now of of what the impacts you, you can have on the environment it, it and if you want to do it right and and if you want to if you want to have i guess if you look at um, generationally if you want to make sure that your kids or your friends in the future have got that same experience that you're chasing I mean, that's the the reason we're all out there hey it's you know mm. why we're out in the bushes because it's it's nice to be there if we're having that impact in that 10 20 years down the track it isn't in the same condition and it is a lot worse then you know we haven't been successful in what we've been doing yeah. for sure I think that's something that comes up a lot when people say oh i have you know I have the right to ride my dirt bike on this track or to drive my car into sections that i die back um you know die the die back risk areas mm. is that they don't necessarily realize that while it, it may be fine on that day if you know in generations to come that that one incident might have led to the spread of die back to areas which were fine before yeah, a hundred percent agree. And I guess the challenge is is finding that balance between what's appropriate and and still making sure that you're providing for those recreation pursuits because they are legitimate pursuits, and you're not going to stop those people from having those desires and wanting to get out there and do that. And 
And what better way to create advocates than to to send them out in the bush on trails? But if they are doing it in a in a manner which is, you know, I guess, unsanctioned, or if you're going out and 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 blazing through the bush and and not having a consideration for what that impact might be, yeah, it's it ends up being a degraded experience for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the demand for more trails. Do you think in the future we'll get more and more kind of trail networks in specific areas, or do you think there'll be ad hoc? Here, let's put a trail here those kind of projects uh i think i think the way the state government have progressed with their planning which in my opinion is a good way of doing it um is they're doing that strategic planning across multiple different um activities which is sort of identifying those different areas which are priorities uh, which is a good it's a good way of doing it because it unlocks permission and approvals but it also uh, potentially opens up uh, funding to to get into those areas we haven't seen it happen in a big way yet um but yeah it's that process is unlocking those areas yeah so we've had the mountain bike strategy gone through and that's now what in review process for funding and trail building is that right yeah so the mountain bike strategy was i think it was released in 2015 and and since then two regional regional mountain bike strategies one for the southwest and one for perth and peel have been released as a result of that i know a number of major funding applications have been made and unfortunately wa has just been in that in that space where uh, we've been had a change of government and we're right on the cusp of getting you know some really good commitments from from uh, different parties and and that didn't you know that didn't pull off at the election Mm. Um, and then there was a change in in i guess the funding methods through royalties for regions uh and and now we're in a position where parks and wildlife and dbca are are really actively pushing to get major funding to develop a number of trail networks across the state which would be a huge boon for the for the area Mm. i guess it's really hard in a time of economic downturn to make a case because there's probably a lot of people saying oh i've got this project but these these projects are you know they are economically positive you know, yeah, I mean that's 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 the dream is build it and they will come. Yeah, um, and and I, I guess really that's what those passionate people within those organisations like Sport and Rec and Parks and Wildlife are you know advocating to their counterparts and to their ministers are saying look you, you know these have a, a great economic impact but they also provide that recreational benefit as well so um, yeah it's it's a really it's a, it, it can have a really positive influence on different areas uh, but it takes time you know. You look at everyone touts Derby as this success case and then it happened all of a sudden, but there was about 12 years of, of prior planning that actually happened before that project came off. So, you know, these things take a long time. Now, obviously you started in, in a more ad hoc fashion, but now it's you know, in a much more professional manner that the trails are constructed. Do you yeah. still get involved in the day-to-day actual construction of the track or is it more uh, of a supervising kind of role? I threaten to um, and, I, <laughs> and I'd love to. Um, there is potential that I will be doing a bit in the, in, in the near future uh, just because our, our team is growing so quick and, yeah, we've got a number of projects on. But, yeah, really most of my work these days is around the planning and strategic work, coordinating our, our team of trail builders, just speaking to government and trying to and trying to get these things across the line. So that, I guess that's where my main skill set is. I love building trail and I'd love to be doing that full time, but I recognise that we've also got some amazing trail builders within our team who are who are equally good as as, as I am and, and you're more than capable of doing it. So I guess where I can put my skill set best is, is probably um, in other areas at the moment. Mm. Okay. And you mentioned Blue Derby before. 
and New Zealand and you've visited quite a few places around the country and internationally that have yep. these mountain bike networks and trail networks. Can you just tell us a little bit about how they come about um, in terms of a funding model and also the impact that they have on the economy and you think yeah, sure. can that develop in WA to that degree? Yeah, yeah. I have been lucky to travel extensively throughout the world actually looking at, at trails both as a trail enthusiast and as a professional. So, um you know, whether it's, you know, through hiking uh, walk trails through Papua New Guinea or um, mountain biking in, in British Columbia, you know, we've, we've been lucky enough to see um, a number of places and, and it's a resounding, every time you look at these things, it's a resounding, yeah, this impact works. It has a, has a really good economic impact on, on destinations and uh, you, you don't need to, to go far from, you know, Australia, but, yeah, within Australia, um, Blue Derby is, is probably the the one that everyone talks about at the moment because it's it's probably the f- the first of first of the big destinations which received a big pool of funding but it's no different to looking at things like you know the Lake District which I've been to in in the UK and and the walk trails and the economic impact that that area has as a I guess a trail town it's no different to that and it's no different to the to the Welsh trail center models and um throughout you know I guess Europe and Switzerland all the trail networks they have there it's 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 the same worldwide build trails and people will come and, and they'll spend money and they'll, they'll buy burgers and they'll buy beer and they, they want a bed. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty proven model. Um, what's difficult sometimes is, is convincing the powers that be that, you know, if they, if they do do this, the economic multipliers and, and the visitor spend and the visitor stay is significant enough where it's, it's worthy of, of investment. So I know Whistler um, in North America, they have kind of a, a pay model where you buy a pass and you get to go up and down mm-hmm. the lifts, And but they're already there for the skiing season. Do you mm-hmm. think a pay model would work in WA? Uh, yeah, I do think it would work. Um, there's a there's a market of, you know, well, there's a captive market of, of 2 million mountain bikers and I guess Medina, I'm not sure if you guys have seen a Medina mountain bike park over in Tasmania, which has been developed, which is about an hour and a half out of at a Hobart and that's a I guess it's probably Australia's first proper you know descending focused mountain bike park where you know it's it's and it's based on a revenue model of of providing uplift so they don't have a a chairlift they've got um, buses but yeah it's 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 operating solely on a summer slash winter market of mountain biking only so Mm. um yeah I I think that model can work in WA it's it's a matter of getting those checks and balances in place to allow it to happen and, and finding the right operator to, to start, I guess, start doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily something that private enterprise needs to do, which is the, the model that's happened in Whistler and the model that's happened in um, over in Tasmania and, I guess, throughout the world in those ski resorts. You know, it can, it can be government-led, like uh, the Welsh Trail Centre model. It can be something where they generate revenue or, or seven stains in, in the UK, in Scotland. They can generate revenue from other models like... Uh, leases for cafes and and parking fees and those kind of things. So there's there's multiple ways of of generating revenue, and that's I guess that's something that we are looking at really closely. And I know parks and wildlife are looking at really closely. Is is, is trails are a big burden on government, and they're a big burden on you know therefore I guess the community because it, without volunteer investment or or financial investment they just go into disrepair. And you guys have seen this from a lot of the trails that you've done. You, yeah. You know how many trails are there? How many 
bicentennial trails are there out there which <laughs> you know you, you, you struggle to find a sign or you you know you can see a sign there's only one post hanging on it and then you know there's there's countless numbers of them out there and you know that's only you know 20 30 years or 30 30 years ago it's not not a long time ago that they were they were developed so um it's important that you know trails are developed strategically and they are developed uh you know, in a way which is going to have some kind of sustainable revenue model or sustainable management model behind them. It doesn't have to mean they generate revenue. It can mean that there's a, you know, like the Calamunda Mountain Bike Collective, for example, uh, manage their trail network through um, volunteer base. But in order to do that, they have to generate revenue themselves. So it doesn't mean it has to be funded by someone. It just means that, you know, it needs to have a, I guess, a, a model behind it which works. So we've talked a lot about mountain biking, mm -hmm. and I guess the Blue Derby model has sort of been seen as like the you know a way to to maybe turn around the fortunes of towns like Holly that are sort yep. of transitioning away from one industry coal. from coal. <laughs> yeah, with the you know you talked about earlier about the the trail strategy as a whole for the state. Mm -hmm. Are there other sort of uh, types of trails that you think that will will come into play? Uh, as potentials to have the similar kind of impact other than mountain biking yeah yeah look I, obviously um people perceive me as being a mountain biker it's quite funny um obviously i am a mountain biker or i used to be before i became a, a trail builder I, I don't do it as much as i'd like to these days but um i'm also an advocate and a, i guess an enthusiast on on multiple different kinds of trails and I, I see the need for other trail types out there and i guess we're engaged by local governments and state government across a number of different you know types of trail um, types where there is a desire to, to develop new trails and there is a desire to improve existing trails and so i think mountain biking's had its fair share of the pie to date but it's only it's only been a really small pie mm. um when you compare it to other areas really we need to be expanding what the offering is for mountain biking but also offering expanding the offering for you know for other types of trails like hiking and, and trail running and and paddling and and trail bikes and full mm. drives and you know there's every every kind of trail user needs um a formal trail system out there mm. so i know i mean obviously we're we're mainly hikers mm. but one of the things that i heard from someone in collie that was really interesting to me was someone talked about their the potential for a multi-day kayak trail in the area mm. and i think that that's something that, even though I'm not really a kayak, I mean, I have a kayak, but I don't use it <laughs> yeah, very yeah. often. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that really interested me because that's something that is a really unique experience. And that's, I think that's something that would be really cool to see. You know, I think that that's, that's probably one of the things that I think with, with the trails and, and it's not just in, in mountain biking, but if I think if we get too much of, of, of it just being hiking and mountain biking, mm you'll probably end up having a lot of the same experiences, whereas there are things like that, which is probably a bit of an untapped potential. Yeah, 100% agree. And I guess where it's a challenge for us as strategic planners and a challenge for government is is looking at the looking at the numbers that are involved in those activities. And it's it, it sways. I mean, bushwalking and walking is, is, is huge participation. Mm. Um, and then there's mountain biking, and then some of the other activities are a bit, a bit lower. Uh, in terms of their participation base, but that doesn't mean they're not legitimate activities which which need to be provided for and need to be you know catered for. The good thing about kayaking, as you know, is that you don't necessarily you know un unlike mountain biking where you, your uh, trail isn't provided provided by the deity of your choice. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, kayaking, there, there is these facilities out there which yeah. have been created, and as long as it's raining like it has been today, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they'll be pretty good to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean they're accessible products, and, and that's the big key point in what we're trying to achieve with what we do is making sure that these trail experiences are accessible to to communities and to individuals that wouldn't normally go out and do those kind of experiences because that's how we get more people out of you know off their bums and out into nature and experience these kind of things and with the more people out there there's, there's more demand and the more demand there is there's the more desire and hopefully with that is means there's more trails and more advocates for the environment as well mm, definitely yeah. that's something that i know a friend of mine talked a lot about is that when people see nature they become advocates for nature and getting people out there, it's, it's always that tension. You don't want people to do the wrong thing in nature, but you want to get them out into nature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, every activity has that that you know five percent of of users or people which which do the wrong thing, which detract from everyone. And and the good case in point is you know four wheel drive users and and trail bike users. The majority of those guys are doing the right thing and they're on on staying on path and staying on trail. But it's the idiots out there which ruin it for everyone. Mm. It's no different to mountain biking. Um, I was probably one of the idiots when I was a kid, and you know, and, and you go through that age. It's no different to hiking, people littering and that kind of thing. It, yep. it happens with every activity. Um, but yeah, they all are all legitimate uses. Mm. So what do you see? We've already brushed on this a little bit, but what do you see as the biggest challenges to getting new trails built in WA? And kind of is there a specific issue or problem that's holding back certain trail types? Uh, money is a big one that stops, I guess, a certain way of doing trails um, being delivered. They can be done volunteer, you know, voluntarily. But the, the I guess the big underlying issue is that that management model how how are we going to deliver these trails, but not only how are we going to deliver them financially, how are they going to get built, but how the hell for the next 20 years are we going to maintain them into a standard where they are of high quality and people are going to come back and keep using them? I mean, I know you guys go out and you've got sections of the bib track, which you maintain. I've got a section of the Cape to Cape walk track, which I maintain. Mm. And it's a thing, like you have to go out there and, and keep it maintained. And if you don't, it, you know, it goes in disrepair and I must say my section of the Cape to Cape is not looking that flash at the moment. But, um, yeah, with, without, you know, having that management model in place, that, that that's the key thing. You, you've got to have that, that management model. And whether that's a, a revenue-based management model or whether it's a volunteer-based management model, that's the key thing to getting in place at the start. Um, and from there, it's approvals. Like, you know, f- you know, it, it can take a long time to get approvals in place. And I, and I guess what we're doing as a state now um, is that strategic planning process of, of going, okay, across the state, where are these activities going to be based and where are the, I guess, where are the where are the major centres for those activities going to be based and, and, and therefore having an understanding of where those act- activities should have that focus and that allows, yeah, whether it's local groups or state government to pursue those areas as you know for development. Mm. On that topic, yeah. <laughs> um, so recently, I was in um, in Denmark and I mm-hmm. defined a, a route through the area. So I linked up sections of the Mandabidi through to the Bibbulmun, and then using sections along the beaches and through to Elephant Cove. So that mm-hmm. and then walking along the coastline from there back to Madfish. Um, so I defined that as a circuit, and and I've put it on the website as the William Bay Circuit. What is would be the process to to get that turned into an official trail? 
So there's an eight-step process, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, defined. Uh, parts of my life have adopted adopted it across all their trail systems, but it's defined in the uh, the mountain bike management guidelines, which are, are still in a draft form. But that eight-stage process outlines exactly what you would need to do in order to to get to final, you know, construction or adoption of that of that, you know, as a formal trail system. Mm. Um, so step one is to put a proposal together, which is sort of what you've done with the website and, and, and marketed that um, that trail. But usually that's a some kind of a, I guess, a document which goes to the land manager, or in your case, um, from what I think you're saying, that would be multiple land managers, probably Shire Denmark and Parks and Wildlife and, and a few other areas. Uh, you'd go to those, those people and say, look, we've got this proposal in place. What do you think? They may go, no, there's the door. <laughs> or they may go, yeah, it's a, it's a valid, you know, reason. Um, you know, it might stack up economically, and then they'll say, "Okay, let's let's you know let's pursue this a little bit further." Stage two is to develop a framework, and the framework really uh, sets out, I guess, what the scope and scale and what the the intent of the trail is, and who's going to manage it, and who's going to you know take care of it, and you know how big it's going to be, and what user groups it for, and what's the intended market, and and all those kind of things. So it's really defining all those those things very early in the project so that you can keep referencing back to it and saying, okay, well, this is what our agenda was. We need to make sure we're keeping to that. Mm. From there, it becomes, you know, a design exercise and an approvals exercise. So the stage three is is doing concept design. Oh, sorry, uh, stage three is actually doing um, environmental approval or environmental assessments, so site assessments. So looking at uh, getting hygiene assessments done, um, flora and fauna assessments, heritage assessments, you'd have to get all those done. Then it goes into concept design and then it goes, you know, well, these are the areas that we want to go. Is there any adverse impacts that we'd be having through those assessments that you've done? If not, uh, then you start going into the approvals process of, of trying to get, you know, conditional approval. Then you go into detailed design and then it's construction and then it's maintenance right. or management. So yeah. there is, yeah, it's, it's a fair process and I've, I've glossed over it very quickly mm-hmm. and you can go into a lot of detail of each of those steps but where it's existing trail and and you know you're saying some of it's mandabidi some of it's bib track some of yeah. it's coast walk so only um, th- only three k's of it is probably a bit questionable because it's walking along the granite headlands the mm-hmm. rest of it is all existing track or walking on beaches yeah so something like that you may find that if you want to define it as a loop, it's just a marketing exercise. But yeah, if it if it has sections which need haven't been formally sanctioned as, as trail, they need trail work and that kind of thing. Yeah, it it need to be th- go through a process, especially mm. if it's on parks estate. Mm. That answer your question, Don. You, yes, you're hopeful that trail might come about eventually. Uh, I I will be sending some info to Parks and Wildlife and Shire of Denmark. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, am I right in saying it goes over Mount Halliwell? Does it go up to there, no, or it, does it go underneath that? <laughs> underneath, no. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Um, no, so it, it's basically from Waterfall Beach, then it follows the the Mandabidi and then crosses yeah. over to the Bib, goes up into the the hills behind the the Tower Hill mm-hmm. and then down to Mazaletti and then to Greenspool, Elephant Rock and then walks along the headlands to Madfish and then back to to the um, Waterfall Beach. Sounds like you know the area a lot better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really lucky. I've, I've, I get to go to some amazing places and I was saying to uh, my wife the other day that we... Um, yeah, through work, I get to travel to like amazing destinations all over Australia now, which is you know I'm really grateful for. 
but I only ever get like a little snippet of these locations. I, I'm not there, you know, as a camper or n- never there as a hiker. I might be hiking or I might be mountain biking these trails, but it's mm. it's like, oh, there's a problem there or there's a problem here. I'm never, you know, taking that veil off of <laughs> being, a, you know, professional. And so, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've spent time down there, but it's always mm. been with a different eye, eyes on. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to hear other people's ideas of what could happen. Yeah. yeah. No, as a bystander, it certainly looks according to your Instagram account that you're on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that it's quite funny because it, it does look like that. And then I get home and I, I'm like, oh, I just want to spend a weekend on the couch. And so, I mean, <laughs> I, what what I love doing is going out and using trails. But you you know you you're out talking about it all day, and you're out you know traveling and planes and flights and you know like we're working over in Noosa at the moment, and you know we're, there's this huge trail network over there we're assessing and. It involves walking and hiking and um, mountain biking and paddling. And I get home and I'm like, oh, I should go and do a ride or go for a walk, but <laughs> yeah. the TV looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand. I just came back from a week and a half in the Pilbara and it was yeah. like a, a holiday of sorts, but I was doing work while I was up there and it was volunteer work, but it still felt like work. Mm. And it's like, yeah, it was nice, but I just want to spend a bit of time just doing nothing now. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like, I guess recently, and I, you know, we're super busy with work and I, you know, I can't, I can't be more grateful for that. And the, and the team that we are working with, you know, that we have, that I have to work with our team's fantastic, but um, yeah, I do feel like I'm I'm lacking that immersive experience recently in in just getting out there and doing it. But yeah, um, yeah that comes with being a new dad and and having another expecting baby and, and those kind of things. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here. Yeah, go for it. What's your favourite trail in WA, and what's your favourite trail elsewhere in the world? I want to say that yeah. I'm going to sound like a bit of a, an idiot, but I want to say that one of my favorite trails is actually one that, that I developed before I was a professional trail builder. And I rode it, went for a ride on my birthday, which was Friday last week, which is, I think, the first like first time in probably about three months that I've been out and gone for a ride. And we, I just rode around Compartment 10, and I rode Big Pine again for the first time in, in quite a while. And um, I love that trail. It was, you know, there's just some sections on there where I forget that I'm a trail designer, I forget that I'm a trail builder. I, I, I just become a trail user, and it's mm. it's it's a it's a nice experience, and it's not very often that I get to do that anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that trail is special to me because it was probably the first proper trail I built, and it's you know it it consistently receives um, you know some really good usage. I think it's getting about thirty five thousand users a year still, and it's it's just good to go and ride it and and forget you know, the reasons why I'm doing it now and just go, yeah, this is fun. Mm. Um, so that, that still remains special to me. Worldwide, um, Chilcotin's probably in British Columbia. That's special because it, not because it's phenomenal mountain biking, uh, not because it's, you know, fast booms and jumps and that kind of thing, but just because the landscape was just phenomenal. You're in, in glacial lakes in, in high country and grizzly bears around the corner and float planes to get in there. Just that it's I guess that's for me what trails is. It's not necessarily the bit of dirt you're on, it's the overall package and the overall experience and that, that yeah. emotional connection is, is what's really special. So, you know, talking about Compartment 10 and mm. be one of the first trails you built, is there any dream trail that of, you know, project that you'd love to see come into fruition in, in WA or in, in Australia in general? Yeah, I often think about that. We're working on really exciting projects from stuff in the Great Southern, which has just got, you know, phenomenal potential. Mm. I'd love to see a walk trail one day going out past Mount Many Peaks and, and through, I guess, east of Albany. That, that area is just absolutely stunning. But, yeah, projects we're actually working on at the moment, um, 
the one that I think that ha- would would have something really special is Wellington National Park. It's um, you know the Collie River and and I guess it, there's almost a sense of wilderness when you're in that valley. It's such an incised valley and it mm. just has this really unique experience within WA, which we it almost feels mountainous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the stealings are great, but they're a long way away. Um, uh, yeah, and there's not much else. Um, but yeah, that I think that that would be a fantastic mountain bike destination and a really really cool project to build on. There's some really nice granite through there, which you could sort of get you know amazing outlooks from the from above. We can't go on it obviously because you're not allowed to do that in WA. But yeah, that that would be a really cool project to work on. But we're looking at, um, we've helped with, with stuff up in the Pilbara, we've helped with stuff in the Kimberley, we've helped with stuff in the Great Southern, the Southwest, and throughout the East Coast. But yeah, that everything would be amazing. And it's always, I guess for me, it's always, what's the next one we can look at and, um, you know, where else would be exciting, so. And just in terms of WA, where do you mm. see us ranked nationally in terms of trails and even strategy-wise, um, mm-hmm. where we head up and kind of what are the improvements and the opportunities that we have to make here yeah i think probably without a doubt there's not a state with more strategic planning than wa (laughs) so so we rank right up there high with that one (laughs) um which is which is good because it hopefully that will open doors but as um you know i guess as the powers that you know, the powers that are have said recently that they're sick of planning. They want to start delivering, which is mm. good. And parks and wildlife and, you know, I guess even state governor said, no more planning. Let's get some of this stuff on the ground. We've, we've done enough planning, especially for mountain biking. Yeah, so I think I think we're probably ahead of the curve on that one. Um, and we're, I guess, common ground have, have started doing things like state strategies. We've just finished the state strategy for mountain biking in Queensland. And, and so... Um, yeah, we, I think we're ahead of the curve in WA with that kind of thing. Uh, in terms of trail development, we're, and in terms of getting new stuff on the ground, we're probably a little bit behind at the moment, um, or a long way behind, depending on what activity you're looking at. Uh, and we are a long way behind in terms of actual dollars being provided. So, you know, we look at look at the, the, the funding announcements that, that are coming out at the moment. So... Um, another $3 million has been announced for a project in Victoria. $12 million has just been announced for a project in, in um, Northern Territory. I think $29 million has been announced for around Threadbow and Jindabyne. Mm. Um, uh, you know, there's all these destinations that are getting huge dollars. And I, I, know, I know that the guys within the organisations like Parks and Wildlife and Sport and Rec or, you know, are doing their absolute best to try and get that funding, but we just haven't seen it yet. And, you know, fingers crossed it comes soon because it'd be it'd be great for them to get that payoff, which they've been working towards for so many years. And I, I should say that there, there's guys within those organisations that, that, that cop so much flack from the community and cop flack, but they're they so passionate. Like guys like you had Rod Neer on. Yeah. Guys like that. <laughs> guys like that. Poor yeah. Rod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, and, and Steve Bennett at Sport and Rec, and you guys know Steve, you you know, and committees and yeah. stuff with him. Guys like that, you, you couldn't find more passionate people about trails and, and better advocates for trails within the state, but ultimately they're just working for the man. And, you know, so it's, yeah. It's unfortunate that we're not getting that delivery on ground, which I know they hope they would be getting. But I think I think we're on the cusp of seeing something really good, hopefully. So yeah, I was really hopeful when Labor got voted in because the new treasurer is quite an avid outdoor enthusiast. I was thinking he might might loosen the uh, the purse mm. strings a little bit when it comes to it, but with everything else that's been cut in the government, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, really it's a hard. tough tough period and hopefully with the GST changes that might you know, that may change, but but who knows? Yeah, I mean, hopefully. when we look at the last election and we had everything aligned perfectly for that election with, you know, regional master plans all in place and state strategies for mountain biking specifically, mm. I guess, the you know, the, the departments and in organisations like West Cycle did so much advocacy to try and get that, that funding underway. And we had commitments from uh, the Nationals for $24 million. We had commitments from Liberal for, um, I think, $9.7 million. Labor just didn't come to the party and, and unfortunately, you know, they were the guys that got got in, and um, yeah, we didn't get the, any funding. But I guess that that shows that that groundwork's been done. It's it's just it's just getting that political will across the line to to invest big. And I think looking at what's happening in other states and knowing the funding announcements that are coming up in other states and the work that's been done in other states, it it's inevitable. Trails are going to start getting funded. People are you know it, it's happening. It's happening whether or not government want it to happen there's people out there building unsanctioned trails everywhere especially in mountain biking and without providing for them in a formal way it's just going to continue to happen so you know we're seeing reduced tourism visitation to wa over the last sort of six months and mm. so all these things start aligning and and hopefully that means eventually we um we get some funding mm. i mean you're absolutely right if, if it's not there people will will make those opportunities yeah. if you don't do it i mean the whole reason why i went out and and created that circuit. I mean, I didn't go and cut a track. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole thing was that the supply doesn't meet demand, you know, yeah. and, and that's exactly the, that shortfall will be made up by people coming up with their own ideas if it's, if you don't follow a strategy. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just, you know, we, we don't, shouldn't just be focusing on those big ideas either. It's always little communities. Like I live in a little town called Augusta and, you know, there's you know maybe 30 kids at the primary school and a few teenagers and teenagers and and you know a bunch of dads and mums and and a hell of a lot of old people. The, the Cape to Cape's there, which is great, but you know there's no effort for anyone to mountain bike and mm. and so communities need these recreation assets. They've got ovals, they've got pools, they've got basketball courts. They don't have trails, and so you know, the way the world's going with this nature play, and especially Australia and and WA with um. Griff Longley from uh, Nature Play WA being a real advocate for this kind of thing. We're trying to get people outdoors, and, and what better way to do it? Well, you know, it's one of the only ways of doing it is getting out on trails. So, mm -hmm. so we should be we should be really advocating and and pursuing yeah pursuing those avenues. Yeah, I always get really disappointed when you see a government or a shire saying, "Here's something for the young people," and it's a skate park. <laughs> like every town now has a skate park, and so not every yeah. kid skates. Like some just want to be out in the bush and. Yeah, not have that opportunity is yeah. a bit of a shame. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. And, um, I hope there's not too many listeners from Margaret River, but Margaret River's just got, a, I think it's a $2 million skate park. But still, we don't have a connection from our trail network, you know, into town and, and mm. you know, for mountain biking. And there's all these issues there. And, and, and still, there's no really good, I guess, transport connectors for, for walkers and no good signage and those kind of things. And, and they're, they're fundamentals of, of people being outside. And you know, we got the Margaret River through there and it's, you know, it's a beautiful location. And, um, you know, we, you don't want to have adverse impacts on the area, but people should be able to enjoy that area and, and, and have decent signage from a recreational perspective, let alone, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of visitors that are coming there and, you know, only seeing the main street of bloody shops, which, exactly. which yeah. isn't, which isn't why, you know, families like mine actually moved to that, that destination or, yeah. you know, you know, my grandparents were there because it's, it's, it's an amazing place. And that's what we should be giving international interstate visitors is that authentic experience about what the locals are doing. And even some of the locals now are forgetting that that's, that's, you know, 
that is becoming other people's in little boxes in mm. in suburbs. It's you know, you know, we need to get people outdoors. Yeah, and living kind of in the Margaret River Augusta area, have you noticed in the last ten or fifteen years since mountain bike trails have gone in an increase in tourism in the area and people actually going there specifically to ride those trails? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I mean, like I said before. The Compartment 10 Network's receiving 35,000 trail users a year. Blue Derby's getting 30,000 mm. trail passes a year. So, you know, we're, if you look at the number of trail passes, Mike River's already surpassing Blue Derby on certain trails. Mm. That said, a lot of that's recreation-based and it's guys that are riding the same bloody thing 15 times a day. <laughs> but it, it goes to show that that level of usage is there. And um, mm. it used to be the adage that, you know, you could count the surfboards coming down on margs, mm. you know, in margs. But now it's, you know, look at the mountain bikes on the back of cars or, you know, check out the, the hikers and, and, you know, the number of women doing the cape to cape and, and that kind of thing. It's, it, it, it really is changing. And, and I guess what government hasn't seen or what maybe aren't taking as, as good a notice of is, is what economic impact that's having on those towns already. Um, we're talking about doing these these trail towns and these big trail developments, but you know, in places like Margaret River where there's big tourism already, it, it already is happening like this Cape to Cape Explorer Tours. There's a number of um, commercial providers on, on the Cape to Cape. There's a number of commercial providers, providers for mountain biking. I think there's like six or seven commercial providers for mountain biking. So... You know, it probably adds up to, you know, tens and tens and tens of employees, you know, which are, you know, they're employed and they're having that economic impact on the area because of trails. So. Mm -hmm. And do you think there'll eventually be a, a Cape to Cape equivalent for mountain bikers? I, I did make that recommendation in the Southwest <laughs> Master Plan. I'd love to see it. And um, I may or may not have a few ideas in my head of how it could work. Um it's a challenging one. It's super sandy. It's, I mean, it's the Cape Naturalist Ridge, mm. um, the, the Cape Lawn to Cape Nat Ridge is, is sand, and it's it's a limestone limestone cast system, obviously. So it, you know, it's, it has its challenges. But it'd be great to see something. There's 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 good developments in in Duns where there's some you know stuff, um, you know, around Metric up. There's stuff in Moat River. There's stuff down in Augusta. So it'd be great to see it all link in one day. I think. Um, potentially the bigger opportunity is is linking maybe you know some amazing trails through Nanup, which is obviously a, a potentially a really great spot for mountain biking. Um, but doing the sort of another recommendation in the master plan was to do, uh, I think it was a trees to see sort of trail, like maybe along the Blackwood Valley, something from sort of Bridgetown all the way down to to Baranup would be be really cool, like a multi day mm. or a, um, yeah some things like that. So. Mm. Yeah, because I think there's a missed opportunity in the southwest at the moment to link towns with trails because you yeah. get the Mundabidi and you get the Billman, but you've got trail, uh, trail towns that miss out or potential trail towns that miss out. Mm. And to have a network where it would be like not the same as like England or the UK where you can walk town to town, stay, there would be a few more days on yeah. top of that. I think that would be a you know, really good opportunity and revitalize some of those towns yeah i think so i guess the, the the challenge is is that that market of you look at i guess you look at the pyramid of um the the cohorts of mountain biking mm -hmm. and that market of that independent person that's willing to do an undertaking like a multi-day or, or a, you know it's like the difference between a bib track walker that wants to do an end-to-end -end or a multi-day and someone that just wants to go out and do a bit of a loop Mm -hmm. it's a very small segment of the actual potential market that wants to do those multi-days. Mm. And so I think 
to get that increased participation and get that momentum, what WA needs. And we talked about this. You guys were, yeah, I was grateful you guys came along to the, the strategy work we did for the, um, per the what was, what's it called? The state trail run, straight bushwalking and trail running strategy. Hopefully you guys can edit that out. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and, and one of the things we identified in that is that there's a real need for you know some long day walks and some and some short multi days and that kind of thing. And I think it's the same for mountain biking. You know, we need those those big day sort of mountain bike opportunities as well because there's other than Kalamunda and Margs and a few of the other spaces, there's there's not a lot a lot out there. And and you look at you know when you look at talk about bushwalking, you've got you know the Bib Track, which is phenomenal and it's world renowned, and the Cape to Cape, which is you know fantastic as well, but where do you start before that? Like, you know, you can do it in an overnight or somewhere, but you know, that, that sort of that, that three capes kind of experience or that, you know, that, that big one day walk, you know, there's, there's not a lot of that around, especially around the Perth Hills, which, which we need to sort of start, I think, Mm -hmm. sorting out. I guess the only equivalent would be maybe the kept track, but there's no facilities along there and not many people know it exists. There's not a lot of signage. Yeah. 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 They used to have, you know, a really good website and everything that disappeared. Mm. Mm. Um, it's for for a walker's perspective, it's terribly hard and compacted. So it's yeah. it's great to ride on, but terrible for walking the whole distance. Yeah. Mm. We had this discussion with, had, I guess, four or five hours today in strategic planning with the the rest of our planning team, which was which was good fun today. And we had that discussion around. What are people coming to WA for? Are they coming to just to do a trail, or are they coming to do a trail in an iconic destination, or are they coming to see amazing vistas? We came to the conclusion that you know mountain bikers you can sort of transplant into any almost any environment that they, they want to be in a really nice environment, um, but they're a little bit more susceptible to being transplanted into an environment that isn't as desirable as a as a hiker or a bushwalker, um, and mm. so um, I think that's the challenge is getting those trails in those you know, there's really iconic for, for bushwalking. There's really iconic destinations, mm. um, and that's the that's the pitch that we need to give to government that we can do those kind of things. You know, whether it's in the Kimberley or whether it's in the Great Southern, um, you know, they're they're the places that that stand out and people will remember and and come to. You know, like the Three Capes in in Tassie. Everyone's talking about that now. Yeah. So it's sort of the the new blue derby of 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 hiking. In, yeah. yeah and people yeah. are spending a fortune to go oh, on shit, that, yeah. and yet it's busy. <laughs> Yeah, well, I um, <laughs> I booked to go on there. I think it was almost a year and a half ago or two years ago now, and um, I keep getting anyone from Parks Taz. I'm sorry, that's listening. Um, we keep getting emails saying, "Can you please rebook your?" You know, we've got the the ticket sitting there. Yeah. Dad and I, um, yeah, again, very fortunate. My old man and I have um done a number of trips around the world, doing that those kind of things, and that was going to be our next one, but we just haven't haven't got to it unfortunately. So it's yeah, it should be good looks like a really really good product and really high end i think i think we need a balance of both you know we need yeah. some sort of yeah. you know the high end sort of stuff which you can you, you can get generate you know good revenue from and that kind of thing like that does 500 bucks for a ticket you know so yeah i'll let you know how i go i'm going in october oh yeah the, the very high end one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah good on you is that with australian walking company yeah 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 cool yeah yeah no, that should be fun. But yeah. I guess we kind of have that on the Cape to Cape where you can do a day walk and then go to a luxury hotel at yeah. the end. Um, yeah. yeah, there is opportunity in WA. I think we need to promote that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, and yeah, we had that experience. On the, I'm not sure you guys know the Queen Charlotte in um, Queen Charlotte Sound, picked an area in, in New Zealand. Same thing, you know, that, that multi-day walk, you know, of walking into a hotel 
Mm. It's just it's such a good experience. Mm. Like I mean, yeah, we've done done good pack hikes through Papua New Guinea, and it's great. You know, sleeping in tropical rainforests in a in a tent with you know shitty water and yeah. you know camp camp food and that kind of thing, but yeah. it's pretty nice sleeping in a really nice hotel at the end it of the night is. and having a spa <laughs> and having a cold beer. Yeah, we when we did the overland trek, you know, so we stayed in the huts the whole way, but yeah. at the end we stayed in a luxury hotel, yeah. and it was glorious. You know, <laughs> like to get clean, yeah. stay in a nice hotel, and eat good food and. You're giving back to the economy. You are. You know? yep. So it's, it is good. All right. Well, cool. thanks very much for your uh, insight today, Dave. It's been yeah, opening. I think the listeners will really appreciate kind of the other side of the, the trail um, experience for those that have to build it and plan it and get funding for it. Yeah, it was great to be here. And it's um, good to be sitting here with advocates for trails and, and guys that are out there you know, promoting and, and, and making trails more accessible for people. So, yeah, thanks for having me here along. Thank you very much. Okay. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. And you may notice that we've switched to a Wednesday for our delivery of the pod. So look out for Real Trail Talk on Wednesdays instead of Mondays from now on. Thank you.